0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. The loudest, the biggest, the brashest. New York is its own character in every
2: play. The bad thing about New York is the pressure. You're always under pressure. Here are the stories about
0: those plays. It's New York Accent with Damon Amendola.
3: So I'm on my back, and I'm stretching, and here comes Bill. And I'm saying, oh, boy, what's, what's going to happen here now? So he comes over me and he has a bat in his hand, of course. And he stands over me, and he says, um, hey, Mookie, hey, you want to hit some ground balls? Was that a joke or was that a peace <laughs> no, offering? No, no, I don't. This is verbatim is high it happened. Wow. Verbatim, verbatim. And I thought it was just so weird for him. to if, if I had said that to him, it would have been an insult.
2: As he walked to the plate on October the 25th, 1986, the New York Mets were going to lose the World Series. By the time he had sprinted to first base, they had won it. It's not hyperbole to say Mookie Wilson's frantic, heart-wrenching, miraculous at-bat in game six of the World Series is the most important in New York baseball history. When the ball went through Bill Buckner's legs, Shea Stadium shook like an earthquake had just hit Queens, and the Mets were certain to clinch their rings in game seven. 37 years later, it's still the last championship the Mets have won. He never even made an all-star game, and yet, he's by far one of the most popular and significant players in New York sports history. His first name, Mookie, rained down from the upper deck with every base hit and stolen base. He was the OG of that '86 Mets team, the first piece put in place six years earlier. So he saw the whole evolution from losers to winners. He always wore a smile, and yet had his own feuds and disappointments with management. The 1986 Mets live in lore, not just here in New York, but in baseball in general. Mookie was a straight arrow on a team full of bent, broken, late-night carousing scoundrels. So the stories about how he fit in are fascinating. And as a Mets fan myself who considers the 86 team to be his spirit animals, I had no idea of the deep and lasting relationship Mookie had with the emotionally tortured Bill Buckner that they developed over the years until I spoke to him. Mookie essentially became Buckner's confidant. And Mookie married the mother of his brother's son, who had become Major League Baseball hitter, Preston Wilson. One of the most fascinating careers in this city's sports history. This is Mookie Wilson's New York accent.
3: Mookie, how you doing? i'm doing just fine you know sitting
2: here in the nice warm weather in the Carolinas, doing great well you grew up in south carolina is this true that you got the nickname mookie because of how you pronounced milk <laughs> when you were a kid i don't want to burst anyone's bowl but that's not true <laughs> oh it's not. okay so that's an old wives tale how did you get the
3: nickname in all honesty i have no idea um and no one else knows um I, I don't think anyone in my family who has nicknames know where they come from because everyone has nicknames. Um, it's just something that my family does. Sometimes for no particular reason, just something might have happened way back when, when I was little. So who knows? But no one claims credit for it. So, hey, it is what it is. That's amazing.
2: So one of the most <laughs> famous first names slash nicknames in New York sports history, and the origins are just lost to the Wilson family decades ago, huh? It is. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I would love to have a nice, interesting story to tell people. Um,
3: you, know, you know, for instance, if you call someone shorter, usually it means tall, taller, with short, whatever, the opposite. Yeah. But um, this has no particular meaning. No one else in the family has a nickname named Mookie. So who knows? Who knows? <laughs>
2: It's actually kind of better that way to have some mystique and mystery around the nickname Mookie. You know, I think a lot of Mets fans and New York fans in general, baseball fans know that, that you're a really popular guy, that you've always done great things in the community. seems like you've always had a lot of outreach towards fans. But when I saw this story, it really took me back about the type of caliber person that you are, that your brother had a child when you guys, when you were playing in the minor leagues and unfortunately he was a, unable to support that child and you stepped in and married the mother of that child. I, I wonder how extraordinarily rare that decision is and how did that come to pass? Well, I, I, I think it's, um,
3: you know, it, it might be rare, um, but it's not, you know, it's not something that's never happened um, before. And um, it was an interesting uh, story, very interesting. Um, but, you know, and most of it is fairly accurate, most are very accurate, um, but the bottom line is I, I did marry the mother, um, you know, of the, of the child. Um, the fact of the matter was that, that the mother was once married to my brother at one point. So um, so that, I think that some sometimes that gets lost in the translation of the whole story, you know? So, you um, know, and they, they were both young, very young at the time. I think she you know, had a child when she was like 16, something that nature, whatever. It's interesting story. story. Um, well known where I live and stuff like that. But where culturally things may not be accepted a lot of times. And sometimes that causes issues and problems. But um, but no, we had no issues. We had no problems. I mean, no initial shock. But other than that, uh, family
2: is very close, very close. And uh, we remain that way did that help strengthen the bond between you and your brother did it create distance what were the dynamics
3: no it it, um it didn't didn't go either way uh because we were very close all the time and um you know relationships don't don't always work out okay we you know i think in today's society might be even harder for relationships to work out and at that point um like i said they were they had got you know they had married really young And neither one of them was ready for marriage, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, some six and seven years later, um, they just, you know, they parted ways, you know. And, um, you know, I was the lucky one. (laughs) I I was was just there. Um, And um, one thing led to another, and and, uh, we became a family. You know,
2: it it
3: sounds simple, but really that's what it is
2: and you remained married to her for the rest of of your career and yeah. and that young boy turned into Preston yep. Wilson who yes. was a major league baseball player yeah I, I mean boy talk about happy endings for something that is so unique yeah. it all it all really turned out well didn't it yeah it turned out really well
3: um like i said we were we we're always close in you know, um as a family and um you know i you know he I took him everywhere I went. I took him everywhere I went. Um, you know, and it was just, we just had a great, great relationship. I mean, uh, he was really, really young. Um, you know, when we, when I, when I married his mom, we were, he was really young. He's like like four years old. So, he don't, you know, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm probably the only dad he knows he's ever known. So, um, and that's the way it is today. For as he, you know, for as he's concerned, i you know, that's, that's it. That's, that's, the beginning and the end I mean, it's just been a really 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 good relationship for me it's worked out for me it's worked out for everyone and we've been married now for about 44 years so it's been awesome
2: man that that speaks to your character it speaks yeah. to your whole family's character 44 yeah. years and Preston had such a successful career himself. Yeah. that is so amazing so you end up with the new york mets you had gotten drafted yeah. by the dodgers earlier decided yeah. not to sign drafted for the mets and early on, you're known for your defense and your speed, and you're making your way through the minors. You get to the majors, and you're really one of the faces of the Mets, but there's a lot of losing early in the 80s. How was that to kind of endure being the best player or one of the best players, but a team that really couldn't get over the hump and had 90 plus losses every year?
3: It, it was disappointing. Um, uh, you know, I, I was one of probably one of many ball players who think that when they get to the big leagues or to a, a team that they're going to make a difference. You know, they're going to end their losing ways, and all of a sudden things are going to be peachy. Um, that wasn't the case. I have won on every team I've been on. I mean, Miley clubs, we won. College teams, we won. High school team, we won. So I had no reason to believe that going to major leagues would be any different. But I was wrong. <laughs> 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 I was so wrong. You know, uh, it was disappointing, um, but I enjoyed the game so much that losing was just um, part of the thing you had to endure. I, I think those early years actually helped me accept Major League Baseball um, better because, um, you know, you can get a little bit arrogant um, when you win everywhere you go and then all of a sudden you lose and you don't know how to take it. You know, um, I had to learn how to lose. Believe it or not, I had to learn how mm. to lose, and um, it made me a a, a better person. Um, taught me how to accept failure, uh, and and how to accept. Because let lot the fans in New York let you know when you when you're going bad. They 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 no. let you know. Yeah. Um. But they've
2: always treated me
3: very well. You know, win or lose, they've always treated me the same. So I've I've learned a lot about that.
2: Was there culture shock when you got to New York? Being from South Carolina, getting to New York City, and as you said, hearing some of the booze?
3: There's a lot of shock. Uh, like I said, I've always been cheered everywhere I've gone. You know, you know, I never I didn't know what a boo sounds like until I got to New York. You know?
2: <laughs> That's a great quote. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I had no idea. Um, but you know, it was um it was it was good, and I after a while. I, I learned that they weren't the, weren't booing me personally. There was never anything personal about the booze. It, it's all about, you know, when we win, they win. When we lost, they lost. And they felt the pain um, that we felt as, you know, as, as professional athletes and just failing, you know. And I guess they had been losing for some years and they were just they're a little bit fed up with it, you know. And so yeah. I, I understood that, um, but I also understood that I, you know, that my profession was to play baseball and was to entertain
2: people. And that's what I tried to do regardless of the outcome. You guys lost more than 90 games Mm -hmm. in 80. 81 was strike shortened, but 82, 83. Couldn't get over the hump of that 500 mark. But then finally in 84, things start to turn. Do you remember a moment, a player, a game, a series where you said, oh, you know what? Okay, finally, we're on the right track.
3: There's no one game,
2: um, but I did
3: see a change. Um, started to happen actually in 83. And, and in 84, those changes be, began, to, uh, began to see positive results for that change. We were still losing late 83, but we were more competitive. We were in games. We had a chance to win a lot of games. And I couldn't say that the first couple of years. We didn't have a chance. We had no chance whatsoever. We were just, we were just trying to make it through the season without losing 100. That's all we were trying to do um but when you start to see the progress it was it was fun it was it was even fun even when you lost you know you feel good about about things um in 84 re you know it was a little early but we really had a legitimate shot in 84 you know um and that's when everything started really coming around there was no more well when we you know get a little more experience those days were gone we had the experience now it was time to put it together and we started putting it together.
2: Daryl turned into a star. Yeah. Keith was traded for. Yeah. A lot of people point to Gary Carter as that final piece to make you guys a championship team in 85. Did you feel like Gary Carter was that final piece? In, in all honesty,
3: um, Gary was a great player, a great player. And having him on the club was nothing but positive. But in my mind, and for what I had thought, what I seen, um, I thought that we had to make us a championship club before we got Gary. I think Gary just put a strong person in the position that we were probably somewhat weak at. And that put us, you know, definitely took away all the guesswork then at all. But I thought that we had enough um, before we got Gary. Um, but getting
2: Gary was definitely made things easier for everybody, everybody. You're building an 84, you're building an 85, by 86, there's real championship aspirations, but your spring training is cut short. Rafael Santana throws a ball from 40 feet away, and spring training hits you right in the eye. Luckily, you have glasses on, but shatters the glasses, and you are injured. Was there ever any fear that you had lost eyesight in that eye? That was, um, that might have been the
3: most frightening moment of my life not career of my life Um, because at that moment I wasn't even thinking about baseball. I mean, baseball was the last thing I was thinking about. I was concerned about being able to see, you know? Um, And, you know, I, I didn't know, I didn't know what to have, what what to think because they had the eye covered for a while and it was just total darkness on that side. So I had no idea what was going on. I, you know, and the anxiety there was, it was it was tough. It, it it was tough getting through. And um I didn't know if I wanted to know or didn't want to know. I I just didn't want to know what the results were. But unfortunately, um, um everything turned out okay. But yeah, there was some some fear there, and but it was all about my eyesight more so than playing the game.
2: <sighs> those have gotta be were those hours that you worried about that days? How long was it that you were oh, worried about? It was eyesight. days days, 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 yeah. Man. So then you end up missing the rest of spring training and the first month of the season, but you guys are off to the races. Then you come back in May and the team is just a wagon. It's impossible to stop. And it's just kind of a rollicking summer where you guys dominate the national league nobody can take you down. And it almost feels like you guys know we're so good. We'll beat anybody. And we know we will beat you. What was the feeling of dominance of that entire summer of 86? You
3: know, I, (laughs) I don't know if that was better or to go through the season with the the mystery of not knowing what was going to happen mm. um we went through that season it wasn't a matter of if we were going to beach it was just how bad we were going to beat <laughs> <Yeah, for sure. laughs> <laughs> you know and and um we approached every game with a a swagger arrogance there's no no it's no other way to put it. I thought that at times we probably, I think that's why teens really hated us a lot because we were just arrogant. It wasn't the confidence anymore. We were past the confidence stage. We were arrogant. You know, that's, it is what it is. We were arrogant, you know, because yeah. we were that good. We had no weaknesses. That's 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 the point. We had no weaknesses. And know, so no one could say, well, if we do this, we could shut them down. We throw a left hand at them. We could, no, no, no. We had some, we had to ask for everything they threw at us. You know, and set loose, Bob, they tried it. It just didn't work.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't seem to fit, though, with your personality. You're a pretty humble guy. I don't feel like you've ever been an arrogant guy. So was it hard for you to fit into a group of guys in a team dynamic that seemed to be really brash, really out there, and really outspoken?
3: Yeah, it was totally different from what I was always taught you know, um, my father taught me a lot of times, you know, just, to, you know, be uh, a graceful winner and even more graceful when you lose, you know. And um, you never want to rub people's noses in anything. Um, you never celebrate other people's failures. Now, I don't think he was talking about baseball game when he said all that. But, I, you know, it did come to mind is that, yeah, we beat you and we're going to beat you, but there's no need in us bragging about it. Well, at some point we we did. I, I think we did some things that probably appeared that we were boastful. We really were bragging about it, and just the way we stepped on the field a lot of times. Um, some of the things that we did, um, and it was totally against what you know I would have done personally. But man, it was fun. I'm not gonna lie, it was fun.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. It, it looked was looked really fun for the outside. <laughs> But we all know the excesses of the '80s, New York City, celebrity, young people, yeah. that team, money, alcohol, women—all yeah. of that type of stuff. Did you ever feel during that season or any during the '80s, "Whoa, this is getting a little out of control for these guys"?
3: Well, um, not during the season. During the season, winning took precedence over everything. It really did. Women took precedence over everything um, because. Uh, you know, I, after losing so many years, I mean, a lot of young guys didn't know what it meant to lose. They didn't know what it felt like to lose. I did. Yeah. Uh, I did. So, you know, we deserve to win and enjoy it. We deserved it. We earned that. But um there came a point when, yeah, you know, maybe we ought to cut back on, you know, some of the things that were going on. But then again, those were the personalities. And that's the one thing. And I believe that to this day when you stop a person from being himself, then you ask the person to, to, to change. But part of who he was was his personalities away from the game. You know, and you expect them to have that same personality on the field. And, you know, sometimes it's just not possible. Some players just can't do that. They just can't. They struggle with it. Um, that team didn't have an issue with it because they were loose cannons, man. They didn't you know what made them happy at the time. But the good part about it was when they came to the ballpark, it was business. It was all business, and that I admired.
2: Seemed like there was certainly a social group on that team that would always go out together and do their oh, yeah. thing. Who was your closest friend on the team that you spent time with? I spent time, uh, it was two guys, um, Rafael Santana and Tim Tuff. We
3: you know, we spent more time together than, than anybody else. Um, the, the rest of it was a little bit different. I, I think that I don't know if those two guys understood me better and they were more comfortable around me. I knew that I was more comfortable around them. And it was just, um, you know, n- nothing that was just, it just happened. You know, we just became very close and
2: uh, we did a lot together. How about the twist of faith that it's Rafi who throws the ball that that smashes your eye? He yeah. must have felt so awful that it was him that threw that baseball.
0: Well,
3: I, I know, that, and believe it or not, we never talked about it. Hmm. Um, because, you know, I, I, number one, most of the responsibility blame was on me because of what I did, you know. And how the story goes, let's explain it, you know. We're we're in the rundowns in spring training, and they were saying, okay, last run, pitchers pick off, get out, you know, pitchers, it's work out for the pitchers, really. It wasn't for the base runner, it's for the pitchers. So I'm gonna be somewhat of a devil. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna get out of this rundown and make us do it again. That's that's how. It, that's, oh, really?
0: Really? That's what.
3: That's how it all started. Okay. That's how it all started. <laughs> so I went out and I was instead of going through the motions and just let them do their thing, I was going to get out of the rundown. So I was going to use one of my patent moves, more of patented moves, you know. Okay. And um, <laughs> and, uh, and when I turned around, the ball met me halfway, you know. So oh. it was it was a really really um, tough, but Rafi felt bad about it, and you say 40 feet away, it was closer than 40 feet. Yeah. It was really, really, really close, Oof. you know, um, so, but, you know, he felt bad about it, and, um, you know, things turned out well, though, and I, I'm happy for him, because I know Rafi, and he would have been really, really just heartbroken if things hadn't turned out the way they did, yeah. but um, we were really close and, and, and tough as well, so we really had a lot in common.
2: 108 wins, you guys dominate the National League East, dominate yeah. the entire league in general, race to the division crown, meet the Houston Astros in the NLCS. It's one of the great postseason yes. series of all time. But for some reason, one of the best teams in the modern era could not hit Mike Scott. To this yeah. day, Scott will say did nothing wrong, <laughs> but you tell me, and the God was Mike Scott doctor in that baseball that year well you know i know scott scott was my teammate in triple a so
3: i okay. played with mike uh quite a bit and mike was a um power pitcher fastball he always had the fastball he always had the fastball um had a very mediocre breaking ball which probably kept him from being you know a dominant pitcher because you have to be at command you know or at least two good pitches but um when he went over and he Learn whatever that he learned. I don't know what that he learned. Whether you call it, what going to call it? It's a
2: good way to put know. it. Learn call whatever it you learn. It. Yeah, whatever you learn.
3: <laughs> but um, he was very effective. Um, to go, you know, and it wouldn't have been as effective. But see, he had another pitch that was really good. On his fastball, he had a good fastball. And most, may good, many pitchers would tell you. Most good coaches will tell you that everything comes off the fastball. mean you know, everything starts with the fastball. Um, but. No, he, he shouldn't admit anything. I mean, why would he? You know, But the fact of the matter is, whether he did or not, psychologically, he was in the heads of a lot of the players on our team. Uh, he was in the head. He was in there. He was in their head. And um, uh, that was not working in our favor. So um, I'm glad it ended in the sixth game because the seventh game would have been a very, very interesting game.
2: Game six was a titanic tilt back oh. and forth of the Astrodome. Oh, yeah. I I don't know how you guys survived that emotionally. Mm-hmm. I can't believe anybody survived that, but you guys finally do outlast the Astros. Yeah. Game six of the Astrodome, and now you're headed back to New York, knowing you're going to the World Series, and that plane ride now lives in lore. What was the plane ride like between Houston and New York after clinching the, the National <laughs> League? Well,
3: let, I'm a that plane ride was a. Whew, yeah, it, um, it was just uh, it was a good ride, and and I'm I'm gonna give you my spin on it, and you can ask some other players. Okay. But to come out of Houston in that game, um, all best off after that, man. Because I tell you what, we survived. We survived the toughest challenge we've had all year. That's the one time I can say that we were challenged. We hadn't been challenged all year until that series. That series challenged us and we knew it. And we knew it. We felt it. We knew it. we knew that was a challenge. And um to come out of that, I, I think the celebration is more of relief than anything else. Yeah. Because, you know, I was nervous. I mean, my chest was hurting. I was glad the game was over. My chest was literally aching. You know, just from the anticipation, the, the just the just the anxiety of the whole game. I've never felt like that, and in any ball game, I've been playing. I've been playing a long time. That's the only ball game that I ever felt nervous about was that game, and to come out of it, yeah, whatever happened to plane right, and I won't tell you what happened to plane right. It was well earned. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So you guys dropped the first two of the World Series of the Red Sox. Do you think that there was an emotional hangover because of everything you went through to beat the Astros in Game 6 and then coming into the World Series?
3: No question. In my opinion, um, I think that we were just, you know, we we waste so much energy, emotionally and physical energy, against Astros, and we felt that we had beat the only team that could challenge us. And I believe that we went into the Houston, I mean the Red Sox game just flat, just you know, saying, oh, we can handle these guys, not a big deal, you know, you know, and um because we look at it from top to bottom, um, we just didn't see the challenge. We just didn't we did not see the challenge there. And um, I think we were just too flat, you know, and to lose those two games, um reality said, you know, hey. <laughs> we about to lose this thing you know and uh we picked it up
2: picked it up big time tie the series up and it takes yeah. us to the iconic game six yeah. where again you find yourselves down it's an unfamiliar yeah. role because you had yeah. dominated the entire season but here are the red Sox and out away from clinching a world series championship in your house at shea stadium in the 10th inning of game number six you said you're Your heart was tight, your chest was tight in Game Six of the NLCS. Was it tight at this point as well?
3: No, no, no. Um, It's one thing to be challenged by a team that you knew was going to challenge you. I was more disappointed with the Boston game than anything else because we had let our guard down with with the uh, Red Sox. Plain and simple, we let our guard down, and um, they snuck up on us you know surprisingly so we had nobody to blame but ourselves on that part um you know not to mention that game they had one of the best pitches in the game throwing that game roger clemens you know so you know it was shouldn't gotten to that point you know with houston it was a different story we went in there man we're putting everything in line when we're not there and they still took us to the task man you know boston was a little bit different in houston it was a little bit of
2: fear in boston it was more disappointing You are now at the plate for two of the most important plays in franchise history, and you could argue in baseball history. The first is there's two outs, there's a runner on third base, and you guys are still down a run. Bob Stanley on the hill, and you get out of the way of a wild pitch, dive out of the way, tying run scores. Did you have a feeling going into that at-bat that Stanley was going to be wild and you should look out for pitches in the dirt like that?
3: No. No, I went into that at
2: bat, um, knowing that Stanley
3: his his out pitch was a uh, sinker. You know, ground ball pitcher this is it's what he wanted, and I know that most sinkers are going to be out of half the plate. So basically, I went. They said, "Hey, I'm going to take that away from him. I'm going to hit that outside pitch. I'm going to. I'm cheating. Basically, what I'm doing. I'm cheating. I'm looking away. I'm looking away. I'm. I'm going to hit." Anything that he throws out it can be three inches, four inches, five inches off the plate. I'm swinging at it, which, which no secret. I did that anyway. So I don't know why I was playing it out. That's something I did anyway, but, it, <laughs> 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 but there, there was never fear about my being able to hit him. It was just what the, um, the outcome, you know, and stuff of that nature. So uh, when he threw the, the ball inside and, I've I watched that many, many, many times, and if I don't jump out of the way, I don't know if that ball hits me. If I just stand still, mm. I really don't know if that ball hit me. But the point that I was cheating away, looking away so hard that I panicked a little bit when it came inside, and um, even the catcher—normally a catcher—he catches that ball, so he must have looking away too as well.
2: So, that's a great know. point. Yeah, That's a great point. It gets by, you dive yeah. out of the way, yeah. tying run scores. Oh my goodness. Shea Stadium is rocking.
0: We've
2: yeah. got a tie ball game, game six, and the life is back for the New York Mets. At this point in time, at the very least, you've extended the game going to another inning. And yeah. yet there's one more iconic play to go.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue.
1: Thanks to Republic Records, this is a national contest. All
2: right, now I'm going to read to you the transcript of the legendary Vince Scully of NBC Sports calling one of the most iconic plays and moments in baseball history. So the winning run is at second base with two out, 3 2 to Mookie Wilson. Little roller up along first. Behind the bag gets through Buckner. Here comes night, and the Mets win it. What do you remember?
3: Okay, let, let's back up before we get to the bank, okay? we get getting way of this thing here. Let's okay. back
2: up a little hey, bit. Hey, you want to
3: dissect it every let's, inch? Let's back I'm up, here up a little bit. It.
2: I'm right. here for it.
3: First of all, after the wild pitch, I'm playing with house money now.
1: <laughs> right,
2: right.
3: I'm playing with house money right now. <laughs> hey, whatever bet you had down, forget them. I'm playing with house money right now, baby. So, hey. I'm in the driver's seat now, okay. Let, that's first of all, okay. okay. um, Now, um, the question you asked me about what I do when I hit the bag, every all the emotions that I had happened before I got to the bag. First of all, it was a very good pitch for me to hit. Ball is down, middle end, you know, well, middle half, middle half the plate. Down, that's a left hander's dream. And he, the picture right where I'm looking anyway, down, you know, and I rolled over it. All right. First of all, that's a bad swing. When you take a bad swing, I don't know if they'll play it in baseball, lens, as you take a bad swing. Uh, or you play golf? Well, you take that bad swing. You play that bad swing, and you don't always say good words. All right. So that's the first thing. <laughs> I took a bad swing. All right. So we won't say what I said. Use your imagination, okay? <laughs> okay, All right. okay, Use your imagination. <laughs> now the ball is hit, and the ball is hit so slow, I got nothing to do but run. That's what I'm known for. I got to run. That's I've always run. So that's no big deal. But the ball hit so slow. It, looked, it took five minutes for that ball to get there. And when it went between his legs, I said the same words again. Hell I, <laughs> I said <laughs> it again. Oh! Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh. oh yeah, he missed it. No, no. Okay. But you're ruining my reputation
2: now. Okay. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it was oblique angry and then obly yeah. excited the second Yeah, time. okay. All right.
3: And um, but when I hit when I got to second base, you know first base, you notice I'm going to second base. Why am I yeah. going to second base? Game's over.
2: Yeah.
3: The game's over. But anyway, so that everything happened before I got to the bank. You know, I didn't stop until I got second
2: base. I want you to know that you've said (laughs) this, but I believe it. Even if Buckner fields that ball, I absolutely am convinced you beat him to the bag anyway. I mean, he's also, his momentum's kind of carrying him backwards a little bit. Obviously, his knees weren't that good. I think you're still getting that bag no matter what. What do you think?
3: Bill and I have had this conversation many times. Many times. We have talked about it. And we actually sat there and watched the game together, and dissected the whole inning, Bill and I. And we both agreed that even if he catched the ball, he said, "I don't think I'll beat me, beat you to the bag even if I catch the ball because of the momentum where he was so far off the line, he's going away and back, so he don't know." But at the moment, I couldn't. The pitcher's out of the play. I don't. The pitcher got no chance. The pitcher, which is another conversation you can have a lot of a lot about. But the pitcher's out of the play. Maybe he thought that was down the line, was an easy play for the first baseman. Well, the first baseman was out of position. But even if he catched the ball, uh, I, I stand by my beliefs and not without talking with the other guy who was involved that I would have beaten to the bank.
2: It's amazing that you spent so much time with Bill Buckner after that, yeah. whether it was card shows, autograph signings, documentaries, what have you. Did it ever, was it ever? Hard to be with him since he became such a pariah in Boston and because he he always wore the goat horns after that? Never. It was the, the first the first day we got together was
3: difficult. Um but the first day we got together, initially we started doing some private things for a company, which was Standard Sports at the time, and we never went in the public. And then when we decided to go into public, um we talked about it and we both agreed that we were going to do it um even if one person had a, a request he would not accept without the consent of the other and that's the kind of the relationship we had he would call me and say hey man i got this opportunity you know you want to do it blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay bill and then i would call him and say bill i got this opportunity you know you want to do it say, in new york yeah in new york blah, blah. he came to Shape stadium a couple of times you know yeah. and did some things together so uh we developed this just great great relationship and it it was something that uh i don't know if any two people that weren't teammates could be any closer than 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 bill and i and the i i love telling the story how we got together um i was playing in um toronto after i got traded and he was with kansas city and i was down the right field line stretching down the right field the left field line because the batting cages for Kansas City was down the left field line and I see him coming across the ball field going to the batting cages so I'm running the center field to keep him talking to the guy you know I don't want to talk to the guy I know I had not spoken to him I had never spoken to the guy other than wow you know, how you doing at first base
2: and this is eight, five or six years later this right is, this, this, is this is by 91 this is 80, 89 90.
3: 89 gotcha yeah so I'm saying okay like I, I, I can't meet this guy so I'm going to center field you know keep doing my sprints. Normal. That's normal. Big deal. But for some reason he got detained. I don't know who stopped him, but I ended up back on the line stretching. So I'm on my back and I'm stretching and here come Bill. And I'm saying, oh boy, what's what's going to happen here now? Mm-hmm. So he comes over me and he has a bat in his hand, of course, and he stands over me and he says, um, hey Mookie, hey, you want to hit some ground balls? And from that moment, we just been that's just been that. was that a joke yeah. or was that a peace no, offering from no, I don't this is verbatim, is how it happened. Wow, verbatim, verbatim, and I thought it was just so weird for him to if, if I had said that to him, it would have been an insult. Totally. But,
2: yeah. And you guys well, were teammates. It wasn't like no, opponents no. go out before games and work no. on ground balls together. No.
3: And he asked me to hit him some ground balls. And, um, uh, I'm saying so, uh, but that's the kind of guy he was. And there are many of instances that we had conversation, nothing did with baseball whatsoever All family matters and whatever. He would call me in the middle of the night. Sometimes just call and We would talk, you know, and, um, uh, but he was just, he just became one of my closest friends. Yeah.
2: Wow. So maybe what that was, was him trying to process all of what had happened with you. And boy, he, he found, he he found a kindred spirit. I mean, you're a kind guy. You're easy to talk to you're warm. I mean, that, that must've meant the world to him that he had you, if it was going to happen versus anybody that he had you in that, that must've been a very special bond that you guys you yeah. both had if he's going to call you in the middle of the night oh yeah we um we had a lot more in common
3: than anybody would believe um he called me a couple of times he was doing some speakings um he was a very he's a very religious guy and people didn't know that and he would call me because <laughs> he knew i was a he knew he found out i was a uh, minister and he would call me and, and ask me for bible scripture you know did you know to re- recite to the, the young boys or the kids that he was going to be you know talking to and stuff like that so we had all those kind of things all those kind of conversations um that people just don't you know don't don't realize and he would call me and you know, hey, I'm going hunting, man. You know, Bill, if it's under 40 degrees, I ain't going. Don't even call me. But, but he loved elk hunting. so he loved going to snow hunting elk and stuff like that. No, no, not Bill, no, nah, not today. He would catch trout. And he would send me photos of trout because he knew I loved fishing and stuff. We just had so much in common. We had a lot, wow. a lot in common, yeah.
2: That's incredible. Yeah. Well, it, it seals game six for you. I mean, Shea Stadium is rocking off of its yeah. foundation at this point in time. It might just fall down and you guys end up going to game number seven. And I don't think there was ever any doubt, even though the Red Sox jumped yeah. out early on you guys, it never felt like there was any chance that you could lose game seven. Even when you guys were down to that game, was there any doubt that you would close it out and win the World Series after game six?
3: No, after game six, game seven was just a formality. And even when the Red Sox were up, I, you could look at the dugout and you can tell they were nervous, man. <laughs> they, they had no fight left in them, man. Yeah. Um, and that's what I do a lot of times. I always look at the opposing dugout. You can you can tell. I, I do that. Um, and they were they were just waiting for the other shoe to fall.
2: That was it. So you win the World Series in 86, and it is everything. Mets fans haven't mm-hmm. tasted this since the 1969 season. New York as a city has fallen in love with you guys. You're, you're the talk of the town. And as we just said, there's excesses there in the city in the 80s. What is it like after you win the World Series? That winter, that offseason, and going forward, because now you're the world champion, 86 Mets. It was going forward, it was just excitement everywhere you go. Um,
3: as a matter of fact, my name changed. They started calling me Mookie86. 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 I didn't have a last name out that. Mookie86. <laughs> Mookie86. I know you. You Mookie eighty six. So yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> but it was great that the city was great. Not only in New York, everywhere I went, everywhere you go, it that was a series for baseball lovers all over the world. It wasn't just New York. It was just a great, great, great time, man. And um, you know, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was a lot of fun, and I I finally understand how. Baseball affects people's lives. When you're in a region, you know how to fake New Yorkers' lives. But everybody's lives. It, it's its just amazing. And winning in 86 helped us do that.
2: Did you feel and do you still feel like you're the OG of the 86 Mets, that you were the first building block for that championship team? Yeah. i,
3: I You know, I, I felt. Um, but, you know, at, at times you feel like you're going to be – on outside looking in because they're bringing in so many young faces, different faces and stuff like that. And they became more dependent on those guys as you did uh, with, you know, with you and uh, sometimes your ego can take a little beating, you
2: know, and stuff like that. But yeah. Yeah. Well, the front office traded away Kevin Mitchell, Lenny Dykstra. Yes. Roger McDowell, Wally Backman, Ray Knight left in free agency. I mean, it was just a constant parade. Yeah. Do you feel like those, that tinkering and those maneuvers kind of ruin the chemistry of what you guys had?
3: I don't, I feel that way. I believe that way. And I said it from day one. It's not always about the physical ability of the players. Um, because let's face it, um, Ray Knight, Kevin Mitchell, all those guys. And the other, you know, you probably could find guys with more physical ability. Kevin McReynolds probably was a more physical ball player than Kevin Mitchell. But he didn't, he didn't. There was something missing there that Kevin Mitchell had that he did not have, you know, and stuff like that. And just, so, yeah, you know, it, that was the beginning of
2: destruction of that 86 team. Yeah. It's a tough one to watch get disassembled because what the front office is trying to yeah. do is stay young. Yeah. And probably take out what they thought were some of the problem children. Of- yes of that clubhouse and yeah. you know maybe part of the reason you guys were so good in 86 is because of some of the problem children is it possible mm-hmm. that was that was a help well i i i think
3: that um management has to worry about two things that is winning ball games and culture of the club and i think that they felt that they had enough talent so let's work on the culture part of and that point didn't work either that backfired because we still had a pretty good club we still had a pretty good club we did not. we still had a pretty good club but we didn't have enough to get us over the hump so what is missing there you
2: know it's never quite the same 80 70 guys no. fall short 88 yeah. you get to the yeah. nlcs yeah you dominated the dodgers all season long yeah 10, 11 i know and then you get to the NLCS yeah. and lose the NLCS. What was the yeah. difference in the postseason versus the regular season against the Dodgers? I, there again, playoff flip baseball is different.
3: On any sport, the playoffs is different. The playoffs is different. You have to have a certain tenacity to win in the playoffs. You can't be just good. All right? You have to push yourself beyond being good. And uh, you've got to put some fear in the other club, something that knowing that they can't beat you, you know. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. I think that we just didn't have that. We we got hit in the mouth, and we just didn't get up off the floor.
2: That's just what happened. We just didn't get up. In 89, again, you, you guys are chasing, but unfortunately you'll fall short of the postseason before the trade deadline. You are dealt to the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah. Jeff Musselman and Mike Brady come back. Yeah. Did that hurt to leave the only franchise you'd ever known? It did, Um,
3: but... I had asked for a trade um the year before and they said it they wasn't gonna do it. So I put that out of my mind. Um but I asked for a trade, not wanting to leave New York, it's really a, it was really more of a
2: play me a trade me. <laughs> you know, yeah. well because, because there's so you're many outfielders for, where you are at that point in time in your career.
3: You know, I I mean you it, it was evident that I was being Phased out because you brought in one saying, "Well, to play center field, come on." That was, you know, that's when you know the writing's on the wall. You know, you know it. Look, I'm just that they're they passed past me now,
2: and whatever happens, happens.
3: You know, but you know it. You know, but that's what the sport is. That's
2: what it is. A couple of years later, you end up retiring. At that yeah. point in time, were you? satisfied and complete in your career or did you feel like there was still more to go but maybe your body wasn't there where you wanted it to be
3: I definitely felt I had more years left um but I needed time to uh get my body ready to you know, for that long season I had a, a a shoulder injury that just lingered the whole that whole year in in, in Toronto and I was not able to play I just wasn't able to, wasn't able to play. um. But when you're the age I was and you sit out, you know, there's no coming back. You just don't, you don't you don't come back after that. You know, you have to constantly stay out there and put it together. And I wasn't able to do it. So I was happy with my accomplishments. I was not happy the way I left the game, but I understood because, you know, it just, you know, I had an opportunity to go to spring training with somebody, you know, in, in AAA in, in my league, but I, at my age, I wasn't going to
2: bed in my No, nah, I wasn't doing that. Yeah. I always found your story also post-baseball to be amazing because you always have had such a positive outlook and push forward and want to do more. And after baseball, look, you could have done a lot of things, but you decided I wanted to go get my education. So you yeah. went back to school and you got your degree from Mercy College. Then you got your commercial driver's license as yes. well. Yes. Did you Did you end up using that driver's license? I drove truck until last
3: December. Really? Yeah, I just just gave it up last December. You're kidding? Um, yeah, I gave it up um, because you know the grandkids. I want to spend more time with the grandkids and stuff like that, and uh, I just want to be uh, able to do more with them. Um, I was. It was. It was really a good gig because um, the company. Well, I I had my own company at one point, and then. That year, they like old oh, seven and The economy got bad, so I sold everything, and then I started driving um, for another company, and they gave me the luxury of driving and still working in New York at the same time. So, yeah, it wow. worked out really, really good. And the second best job I've ever had was driving truck. Is that right? Yes. Wow. What would you love about it? The peace. The the peace and just. Um, You know, the only thing that you work against is time. That's it. You know, I just love that. Matter of fact, I wrote my book while I was driving my truck. So it's
2: just fun. Just, I just enjoy it. You opened up an an educational center as well for girls named Mookie's Roses. What was the inspiration behind opening up that education center?
3: We, I, I, I got in contact with a gentleman named Thomas Ross, who passed away a week ago. God bless him. And he was a he played for the Philadelphia Eagles years ago. And he was in the neighborhood and he was working in the school system and he worked at the community center. He, he was just saying how there's just, the city didn't provide a lot of things he needed with the, for the, the, to help kids to, to be more involved in things that were not necessarily in the town, but away. Some of those kids had never been out of the county you know so you can only dream if you know what's out there to dream about you know and, and that was big goal for me and i knew that because i grew up in a small town called airheart south carolina population 500 we had no community center you know it took yeah. me i was 18 before i left <laughs> before i left the county so wow. i understood that but once i got out and i saw everything that was out there then i began to dream i began to was like, oh i could do that i began i could do that and that was that's the inspiration behind it and um and greatly some of kids went up going to medical school, nursing school, and they came back and it was it was great. Um when I was traded and um retired and stuff become very keen, very difficult to operate it. So we kind of um kind of closed it down after that. So but it was great while it lasted. It was awesome.
2: Boy, how rewarding is that to see yeah. young people that you help give a start to come back after such yeah. successful lives. You know, you were honored by the Mets in their Hall of Fame in the summer of 97. And on Mookie Wilson Day, I went out to Shea Stadium with some of my buddies, big, big Mets fans. Went out there, and it was a dollar day. It was dollar for hot dogs, dollar for popcorn, dollar for soda that day. And we did a thing where we said, It's only a dollar for hot dogs today. We're going to try to eat a hot dog every inning. I made it until the seventh inning. And then I said, I can't do more than seven Shea Stadium hot dogs. But my my buddy got to eighth inning. He couldn't make to nine. But I want you to know that we ate hot dogs every uh, inning in your honor that day.
3: All right. That's great. I love hot dogs, by the way. I think New York has the best hot dogs in the world. No doubt. I, not, I love no hot doubt. dogs. But now I love the hot dogs on the streets. No, Yeah. Oh, those are the best. That's a little
2: hot dog, man.
3: I say, hey, the water might be dirty, but the hot dogs are good.
2: You might be from South Carolina, but you're speaking like a true New Yorker right there. (laughs) The water might be dirty, but the hot dogs are really good. You know, my listeners know how much of a fan I am of yours. And about a month ago, I had a a delivery at the station. One of my listeners bought me an autographed Mookie Wilson signed jersey to put in my office at the studio. And I said, this is the best gift ever. So my listeners know how much I love you. And I am so thrilled that you were able to spend some time with us on our show. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And, and I'm sure I'm speaking for a lot of Mets fans for all of such the wonderful memories and being such a positive ambassador for the organization and that 86 team.
3: Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. Um, you know, um, I, I love New York. I'm a South Carolinian, but I love New York. And when I go there, my family has family trip in New York. We have a great, great, great time. And it's just one of the most wonderful places I've ever been in. Unlike all the stories, horror stories I heard when I was growing up in New York. <laughs> be, it, oh, I've heard some horror stories, man. But I tell you, um, I've really enjoyed my time in New York. And I still enjoy it every chance I get. I'm, I'm up there. I really, really enjoy it.
2: And your bond with Mets fans is so close. That must be very rewarding for you as well.
3: I, it is. I, you know, um, I, I probably get recognized more in New York than I do at home. You really? Know. <laughs> I, oh yeah. you yeah, without doubt. And it's just one of those great, great things that I think, um, I, I think that every ball player should be um, admired with, in their home base, the fan base. But, that that comes at a price, and that means there are things you have to do. There are things you have to do to to do that. People the only thing I love about New York, they don't give their affection away. They don't give That'd it away. Earned. You That'd gotta earn it. You yeah. gotta earn it, you know. And sometimes it goes further it goes farther than just hitting a home run or pitching a shutout. So
2: but you earned it, you earned yeah. it big time. Mookie Wilson joining us here on New York Accent. Mookie, this was this was a treasure for me. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. I, I'm truly very grateful that you were able to spend this time with us today.
3: Well, thank you. I'm glad you enjoy my playing. Now, the next thing I get you to do is enjoy my cooking. Ooh. Oh, wow. What's the best That's Mookie nice Wilson dish? dish?
2: Oh my goodness. Man, never ask a chef what his best dish is. Okay. Okay. Never just, do that. You just you show up at the Wilson household and whatever Mookie is cooking. Whatever it you is. It. You eat. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next episode. That's the next episode. Okay. Okay. Thanks again. Thank you so much. All right. My pleasure, man. What an awesome conversation with Mookie Wilson. I just, I learned so much from that interview with him and he's such a likable, charismatic guy. And as a fan of the Mets myself and one that kind of grew up with that 86 team being the centerpiece of my sports life. That was so awesome and such a great debut episode of New York Accent. I talk about my fandom for the Mets a lot. I've got a partial season ticket package to Citi Field. And, you know, I just, I love those players from the Mets and that specific 86, 87, 88 team. Those were the teams of my youth that I really felt most close to. And, you know, that happens when you're in your formative years. I was, what, seven, eight, nine years old when they were, going to the World Series in 86 and then winning the division again in 88. I'm oftentimes asked by listeners of my show, which is on the weekdays, weekday mornings on CBS Sports Radio, nationally syndicated, who my favorite Mets player of those teams was. And, you know, the classics, you love Hernandez, loved Gary Carter. Clearly, Mookie Wilson was a fan favorite as well. But my guy on those teams was always Straw. Daryl Strawberry was the guy, you know, you just, I was always so fascinated by the high leg kick and the speed and the power of his bat and the fact that there was a strawberry patch in right field that the groundskeepers had kept and just the power that Daryl Strawberry created when you're a young fan of the game was just incredibly enticing. And magnetic. And Straw was was the guy. I had the Daryl Strawberry high kick poster in my on my bedroom wall. And when he left for the Dodgers in free agency in 90, I was just absolutely crushed. I didn't know how that even could be possible. Strawberry is leaving the Mets for the Dodgers. So it would be Straw as much as so many of those guys were so much fun and you love them. To this day, Straw still. Still my favorite Met from the 86 Mets, and one of my favorite baseball players and really athletes of all time. Every week here on the show after our episodes, you can let us know what you thought about the episode, if you have any thoughts about the interview, or people you'd like to see us interview as well. So here's the email to use nyaccentpod at gmail.com. NY accent, like New York accent, Nyaccentpod. pod at gmail.com. Email me any thoughts on the podcast and people you'd like to see us interview, and I'd love to hear it. I'll read those coming up at the end of all of our episodes as well, so I would love the feedback. You could also hit me up on any of my social accounts, specifically Twitter and Instagram. I check pretty constantly. Just use the hashtag NYAccent and let me know what you think or who you want us to, to have on the show. On Twitter, it's at DA on CBS at DA on CBS, or on Instagram, at Damon Amendo. And I go through my DMs relatively regularly on Instagram, so you can hit me up there as well. All right, that was episode one of New York Accent. We are off and running. Can't wait for episode two, a surprise guest coming up. Remember to subscribe by just searching New York Accent on your podcast and hitting subscribe. It's free, it's great, and If you could leave a review, that's great as well. That helps other people find it if you rate it and review it. All right. Thanks so much. That was episode one. We'll do it again next Tuesday.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.